0: And now, the Low Post.
1: Welcome to the Low Post Podcast Live from Los Angeles, California. It's time, speaking of California, for a run through good Western Conference teams who don't play in California. Not including the Phoenix Suns. Sorry, Phoenix, we'll talk about more you more when we get more of a sample with your big three. But there are several good teams that don't play in California in the Western Conference, that may not be at the top of the standings, although one is, but they're right squeezed nicely in the middle and they're all playing well. And Tim McMahon is an expert on all of them. How are you, sir?
2: Howdy, partner. Doing just fine. How are you, Zach?
1: I am good. Let me tell you a story, Tim McMahon. I looked it up on my phone. It was in August, maybe September. It was in September, I think. And I jogged my memories. I was watching the Utah Jazz win yet another game the other day to go to twenty-two and twenty now, up to ninth in the West. Not just scrounging for play-in; they're in the play-in, baby, and they're surging. Ninth in the West, thirteen and three in their last sixteen games. And you're damn right, we're leading the low post podcast with the Utah Jazz. The ratings will go in the toilet, but we're doing it anyway. And What's I text Utah, baby. I texted. I, I looked at my phone. I texted Will Hardy, and here's the text. I look forward to being too low on you guys in the preseason and you being 20 and 15, 30 games into the season, 35 games into the season. And I I asked Will, can I share that story? And he replied like, LOL or whatever. We were just spitballing, catching up over the summer. And I texted him. I was like, that actually wasn't far off. I took the under on the Jazz. I felt good about it. And now they're 22 and 20 and they can't lose starting zero. This is very unusual for an allegedly rebuilding team who traded their two. Foundational pieces for 9,000 draft picks. And it turns out an all-star caliber, maybe all NBA caliber player, Lowry Markinen and a solid starter. in Colin Sexton, who people forget, was mm-hmm. along with Agbaje In He was like the last line in the Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell trade. Um, and – uh and I texted him like, "That ain't too far off." Here we are, Utah Jazz, man. Starting zero. Oh, that was the point. Starting zero players. A rebuilding team starting zero players that they drafted. Now that's cheating a little bit because they signed Fontecchio, Simone Fontecchio, household name. We just use Simone. Um, they signed him as an undrafted free agent, but they, these are just and there. Two of them are. Players The Bulls received in the Jimmy Butler trade, which feels like 10 years ago, Lowry Markkinen and Chris Dunn, who, damn it, I had Chris Dunn on my all defense second team in 2020, which was the last time he got real minutes for the Chicago Bulls. And I said then, and I will say now, I am not sure there is a better guard defender in the world than Chris Dunn. I don't know what the hell is happening with this team. But they're kicking people's ass, and I'm hoping you can enlighten me a little bit, because this team, in their last 16 games, is sixth in offense, ninth in defense, fourth in net rating, and I absolutely love it. They're fun to watch, and that's where... I'll, what's what's happening,
2: Tim? How did this happen? I mean, they've won six straight. They've scored 130-plus in three straight games. That is a first in franchise history. Uh, thanks for ESPN stats and info for that, little Jim. And... I mean, nobody saw this coming. They were 7 and 16. And, you know, I do a, a, a weekly uh, radio hit in Utah with Spencer Sheckett. And I feel like every week I, I had, I just kept repeating the same line Hey, rebuilds are not without pain. And that certainly seemed to be the trajectory that this season was on. But, you know, you, you mentioned Will Hardy and I, I, if if the Jazz end up in the playoffs, he has to get serious coach of the year consideration. No He's a hell of a job. And it took it took a a quarter plus of the season for him kind of to figure out, okay, how do all these pieces fit? And you know, they're doing like Walker Kessler was one of their untouchables going to the trade deadline last year. He's coming off the bench. Why is that? Because if John Collins is going to be getting minutes and you're not just going to bench a veteran. I know they didn't give up anything in the trade for him, but you're not just going to bench a proud vet uh, who who's still productive, if not auto flawed. Uh, but if he's going to be in the lineup, he has to play center offensively. So they've kind of you know broken those two up. Jordan Clarkson was hurt for a while, kind of when they got rolling. He was out with a hamstring. He's come back, and he had never come off the bench for a Will Hardy team until he came back from this injury. He's back in that six-man, you know, he's a former six-man of the year who's, who's back in that role uh, and and playing as well as he ever has, you know, as a playmaker, which is certainly not something that he has a reputation to be in addition to a score, You know, Colin Sexton, I think it took Will a, a good year and change to kind of figure out how to maximize this guy. But you mentioned he's been in the starting lineup. I think he started the last 17 games or 13 and four in that stretch. He's putting up 20 plus per game pretty efficiently. Fontecchio, uh, he is the one wing-sized wing I that see, they have no on the It's
1: unbelievable. They have no wings on the whole team other right. than Fontecchio. Have- masquerades as a 3 on their yeah. bench their bench mob, which we'll talk about. But it is interesting that they just have to finagle these like wing minutes from from almost nothing. But he's good. Frontegal is right. a good basketball and, player. And
2: and they figured, you know, we'll figure out, hey, it helps having a legitimate sized wing who plays hard defensively, who is a he's not I'm not gonna sit here and say he's a wing stopper, but he's a solid wing defender who you know a little bit of playmaking, shoots well enough, you know, moves he he just kind of fits in that starting lineup. And and Lowry Markinen is a stud. Like he's just a stud. Um Rick Carlisle went so far as to compare him to Dirk last night. And 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 Rick, I've been around Rick long enough to know that Rick is prone to some hyperbole. <laughs> he'll he'll give you you know especially when it comes to player comparisons. But he is a seven foot shooter who uh is i mean he's close to 50 40 90 since he's been in utah putting up 23 plus per game this year 25 per game last year he is as as efficient of a uh kind of a, and, and they've got him playing power forward he has he has center size wing skills and his natural position is power forward they got him back playing that but they again i think it they've got a lot of quality pieces it took will a while to figure out how they all fit and the sum is definitely greater than you know if you add the parts up individually right now
1: so about fontecchio said he can do a little bit of playmaking
2: and i think that's
1: actually quite apt um so just to review they're starting five for people who have not dialed into the red hot utah jazz is chris dunn Colin Sexton, Simone Fontecchio, Lowry Markinen, and John Collins. That's the starting five of a good basketball team in 2024. How that happened, who the hell knows? I'm happy for John Collins, by the way, because there was like a weird report about a month ago that they were like totally off of John Collins. And I remember calling around being like, how could they be this off? Like the season just started. And my whole thing with John Collins is, look, love him, hate him. He's got flaws. He's been on the trade block for a million years. He is a raw talent upgrade for the jazz. That was like a complete talent gift for free. And that starting five does not have one, even like a minus level playmaker in it. Like Colin Sexton's passing drove everyone in Cleveland bananas, Uh Lowry Markin, And it's kind of the one weakness of his game Well, he's getting better at it. he's like a two yeah. assists a game, but collectively they can all do a little bit of it. And that yeah. adds up to like enough. And the number one thing that lineup has done no pun intended, because Chris Dunn and Colin Sexton yeah. and Markinon are all pretty strong one on one players. Is the Jazz got their turnovers under control. And that was what was holding them back earlier. They were throwing the ball all over the gym. It's now a manageable number. And then their bench mob, they have a five man bench mob. Keontae George, who was the leading offender of their turnovers earlier in the season, Jordan Clarkson, abaji Kelly O'Linick, point 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 center Kelly O'Linick, and Walker Kessler. Coming off the bench, which, as you indicated, is kind of a gutsy move to make,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Will discovered I can't play Collins and Kessler together. They do the same thing on offense. We're going to have to figure it out. And I think what that's done for Keontae George is he's flanked by a shooting big in Olenek, who does a lot of the playmaking. He's kind of the co-point guard. And another big playmaker in Clarkson, another high-usage playmaker in Clarkson. No one is overstressed. On offense anymore. Least of all the rookie point guard, who I think is going to be good. I like that kid a
2: lot. Well, and, and, and so does Will Hardy. And they say the lead guard, point guard, is not a term that's used. Oh, whatever, in okay, okay sure, the sure, Utah. Um, telling you. <laughs>
1: uh, and Kessler, look, offensively, he hasn't made the jump that they hoped. His minutes are down. He's coming off the bench. He's still a beast on defense. Opponents are shooting forty-five percent at the rim when he's around. That's one of the best figures in the league. The whole thing works. Mm -hmm. and they have been a trade machine team all season long like even teams calling them about marketing uh, you you said it last week i said it last week like there i would be absolutely blown away if they trade marketing here's the point that i've reached with them their trade of mike conley last year was a death blow to their own team and they knew it like they were not surprised that that was the case i don't know what role player trade would have a similar impact on their current team. It would it would maybe be Olympic, who's got interest like I mentioned, the Clippers is an Olympic team last week. There's gonna be a million teams interested in him. Maybe it's Sexton. I kinda hope they trade nobody. None of their rotation guys. Because I think they're pretty good. Sexton has two years and 37 million dollars left on his contract. He's 25. He's a good player. Marketing's only 26. He's a very good player. He's an all-star all NBA level I don't know if he's gonna make the all-star team, but if they keep winning, he's going to. Yeah. Um, and Olinick, look, he's an expiring, he has value. Can you trade him and it's not like crippling to your second unit? Can Fontecchio kind of become the new Olinic? Maybe. But look, they this I tried to think of comps for a team that conceived of itself as a rebuilding team. And just sort of like accidentally became a decent team. And I can can list you some comps later. Um, I kind of like that they can build up from the middle like this. Knowing, hey, if Cleveland ever takes a downturn, if Minnesota ever takes a downturn, we got bites at the apple from those teams. Like, I know they envisioned a scenario where their own pick netted them a a great chance at the next Utah Jazz superstar. I kind of like this team as is. I kind of want them to keep it because I think they can build up from the middle. I think that's a a route you can go, particularly with the new lottery odds that are less favorable for tanking. I think this is totally fine. I kind of want them to do nothing.
2: Well, one comp for for a team like that is last year's Utah Jazz until they made the trade just before the trade deadline, and it was clear that uh, the intention for the rest of the year was not to prioritize winning at that point. They end up in the top 10, and uh, that's what's crazy. They end up in the top 10, and and the rookie they took at 9 overall Taylor Hendricks has primarily been a, a G League player this year. And,
1: and by the way, when he's played in the NBA, he's looked good and particularly ready on – like, I like him too.
2: Well, defensively, he's got a chance to be really, really good. Offensively, he's got a ways to go. Kind of the vision for him is a uh, a bigger, better version of Robert Covington, but there's, there's a ways to go uh, to get there. Um, you know, this year, honestly – Certainly, when they were seven and sixteen, and and even going in the season, I thought the question down the stretch for the Jazz is going to be, hey, are they giving up their pick this year in Oklahoma City? It's top ten protected. Uh, <laughs> they're a little while away from uh from from that at this point, and I, I last year shows you and and the conversations that I've had around the league or and with people with the Jazz back this up. Danny Ainge is not going to get sentimental about a competitive team, right? It's still, it, it's still the big pictures still in, my, in at the front of their mind. Uh, he's going to be taking, making calls, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Danny Ainge has been plenty of times where he's been on the phone a whole bunch, or in this case, Justin Zanuck handled most of the conversations, and then not pulled the trigger at the deadline. That's certainly a possibility. You, you mentioned Olynyk. There's there's a ton of teams that would love to have Kelly Olenek. I was talking to somebody with the Jazz who said, everybody wants Kelly Olenek. That doesn't mean someone's going to pay what it takes to get him. The, there ain't going to be a bake sale. We can guarantee that if they're making trades for value. And, and like you said, with marketing, um, there definitely was some buzz about that, just the fact that he's not labeled as untouchable. I'm um, keeping him.
1: I'm not trading him. You got to give me like – five first round picks to I I don't I just Brother, he's 26 I, and he's really good and he makes everybody around he's he's not a great pa, he's not even he's not a passer right. but because of his shooting and his positional versatility and his movement off the ball and these these corner pin down sets they run for him are killing everybody in part because he is playing with a new physicality this season going at bigger defenders in the paint and guarding centers guard Miles Turner guard Anthony Davis in recent games like I, he, his kind of, he's like a floating, helpful player, just moving around is shooting. I I'm not moving him. I'm he's not an
2: athletic seven footer who can shoot, put it on the floor and finish. Those don't grow on trees. And I, I won't say the name that, that was brought up, but I, I was talking to somebody with the jazz and I said, yeah, you know, five first round picks and, and okay, five and,
1: might be hyperbole, and, but I'm just not. Well, I said I'm an, not I said, looking to trade
2: him. I said an ex player, uh, a, a nice young player is kind of the headliner of the of the package, and they're like, no, not that guy, this other guy, and <laughs> the name that they mentioned made me gasp. <laughs> All that to say, if Larry Marken is traded. It will be for a package that would have to blow. No,
1: I'm gonna come out. I'm come they're not gonna trade him. They're no, just not gonna it would be
2: it would be like you would not believe the kind of return it would take to to get Larry Markkinen. Now I, I wouldn't get, waste my breath making that phone call. I'll put it to you like that.
1: If they get offered like a good first for Kelly Olinick, not like a top fifteen protect. If they get offered a good first, you have to think about it. And I think they could cobble enough together to kind of replace his role on the team but other than that I like to see and I was thinking of comps like the, the kind of classic build from the middle teams are the Pacers right of the of the mid-2010s the Pacers never famously picked like higher than 10th for a million years the Blazers when LaMarcus Aldridge left they won 44 games the next year because they already had Damian Lillard in house now Lowry now is like roughly equivalent to what Damian Lillard was then Damian Lillard was 25 in that season yeah. The other team I – and but look, it's hard to do. Even Oklahoma City, it feels like they were bad for like a hot second and now they're good again. They were bad for two years and they got Giddy and Chet out of those. It's like bottoming out is a thing that happens for multiple seasons still. The team I thought about was like the random Raptors team in 2013-14 that had Rudy Gay and traded Rudy Gay to the Kings for a bunch of bench players. At that point, DeMar DeRozan was 24, had never made an all-star team. Made his first all-star team that season. Cal Lowry was 27, had never made an all-star team. The team had not made the playoffs as with that core of players. And they kind of accidentally became good. And I think most Raptors fans would be like, yeah, we had – that was like we didn't get over the hump. Le, we became Lebronto, right. like LeBron eliminated us over and over. Like that was a legit good team and we had fun and we kind of built from the middle around those two guys – that was one of the teams I thought of. And I, I I think Utah can follow that same path around marketing. Now, do they have a second guy as good as Lowry? Maybe not, but they've got a lot of good players.
2: Yeah, and Keontae George is definitely the, the young guy who is in the rotation now that they're looking at as having real, I don't want to say star upside, but like high-level starter upside. You know, Walker Kessler – Needs to get better offensively as a as a screener, you know, as a uh, his ability to catch the ball. There's a there's a lot of development to be had there, but he's already an elite defensive player. Um, you know, they, they've got some pieces in place, and you know, as you mentioned Sexton, I mean, we'll see what happens. Um, Age wise, he fits the timeline, and and the man can put the ball in the basket. He's not a point guard; they're not asking him to be a point guard he's putting the ball in the basket at a high high level and they just for a a team of kind of uh you know I don't want to say leftovers or misfit parts but you know a a team of of guys most of whom have, have bounced around a little bit that, that's kind of been uh been thrown together I think they've got a really good culture, and there's you know th- right now they've got ten guys while while they've been on the stretch, ten guys that are playing right around between twenty and thirty minutes, and there's no whining there's no moping, there's no you know complaining about touches or minutes or all those kind of things. Walker Kessler's not pouting because he's coming off the bench. Clarkson's not crying about hey I established myself myself as a starter, all those kind of things, and they're letting Will Hardy coach them. And I I do think they're overachieving right now, but that's a that's a credit to not just the coaches, but to the players who are uh, you know willing to go along with this and 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 also to to adapt. It's not like the rotation's set in stone on a game to game basis. They're willing to to buy in and adapt on a you know on a, on a night to night basis, and that's not always the case in the NBA.
1: Larry Markin is having a great season. Listen is to him that, talk on. Listen to him talk on defense. So you can hear it even over the TV. He's talking veer, veer. You hear him say that a lot. That means veer back on the pick and roll, like late switch. Chris Dunn's the best in the league at that. Anyway, let's switch gears and talk about your hometown team, the Dallas Mavericks. Again, kind of just floating in another world, in the middle of the West, not receiving a ton of attention. I think it is a home run for them to be twenty four and seventeen, with. So that's 41 games. Kyrie and Luca have played together in 20 of them, and right. 24 and 17, 8th in offense, 18th in defense. As you have pointed out recently, they've been a borderline top 10 defense now for the last month. They are one of five teams in the NBA to, as we are recording this early in the morning on January 16th in L.A., to not have a lineup, any lineup of five players crack 100 minutes so far this season. They've
2: 23 f- starting lineups in 41 games.
1: The other four teams are Charlotte, Memphis, Miami, who has just been injured up and down, and the Spurs. So that's the company you're in with not having a lineup play that many minutes together. Kyrie is absolutely balling out at yep. an all-star level, carried them to wins over the Knicks and the Pelicans in the last four days, 26-5-5. and And they do play – it's not like beautiful synergy, but when they're on the floor together, the offense is really, really good. Um it's interesting that we have reached forty one games. I don't what is the starting lineup of this team? Like, do we know well, what everyone is? Like we know th- we know thing. three. We know three. No, the two stars in lively. That,
2: I can tell you they're five. and by the way, you mentioned twenty games, Luke and Kyrie, sixteen with lively with the, with that duo. I mean that's that's their core three guys. Lively is, is part of that. Who who they're are the other the two starters? We're eleven and five in those games. Derek Jones Jr. on a minimum. And uh, Dante Exum, who I, I think I might have my exceptions it, on a slice of an exception, a, a $3 million a year player. They got to the point. That because, was,
1: that's my guess. That's my well, guess as of now.
2: No, I'm, I'm telling you, that's that's the plan. Like that's coming. To, that's Jason Kidd on the record. That is the plan. Um, they got to the realization of, hey, we want Exum and Jones, their two best on-ball defenders, um, Exum has become a solid three-point shooter. That's something that happened when he went back to your or over to Europe for a couple of years, and they they like having that third guy with some playmaking ability uh, in that starting lineup. And they and they came to that realization because Exum was so damn good playing with Luca while Kyrie was out with that heel contusion that sidelined him for uh, for most of December. And so, hey, Kyrie's back. We we think we figured out this five man uh, starting lineup that's really going to fit. Here we go, boom Utah, and then Exum got hurt in the first half of that game. He has a just
1: they can't let him play in Utah. Just it's cursed. Just yeah, don't it's, let Dante Exum set foot on the floor in Utah.
2: Yeah, and at first they said heel contusion, and then they changed it to a sprain of the planter, Um, which means there's a minor tear in it, which. You know, it's going to take a little bit of time. I don't know exactly how long. Jones actually sat out last night with a contusion. Luke has been out with a sprained ankle. So, I mean, they've been killed by injuries, but that—that's their—that's the five-man starting lineup that they plan to go forward with. And I, you know, Jay Kid said, "Well, we're going to California. Hopefully, that sea breeze can can help us get healthy." But that's uh, right. I'm going
1: to see them tomorrow against the Lakers. I think uh, that's exciting.
2: Yeah, but that that that's the group and um you know they got maxicle but back he missed 2 months with a dislocated pinky toe that kept on popping out um they got him back i'm sorry with...
1: the to- the toe the toe kept on popping out that sounds horrible
2: yeah it's it's not a pleasant thing it's like how do you miss 2 months with a toe injury because it keeps popping out of place that's how um uh, every time they thought he was close to coming back it seemed like the thing popped out uh, but he, he's he played the last couple of games and that's gives them some some flexibility there. Uh, we we all know what he meant to their west finals run, you know, to their to that team being a top 7 defense uh in the league. Grant Williams now coming off the bench. Um it, it's an if they are an average to above average defensive team which they have been for a while and they've got their three main guys healthy and i am counting Derek lively the second as a main guy then they have a chance to be dangerous in the west
1: no uh, absolutely like again the race for the top six that's what we're talking about today is like the, 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 i think the top four is going to be what it is right now and then the race for those last five and six spots is going to be fierce <clears throat> dallas is is dangerous and they're dangerous like They could win a round and be a dangerous second-round opponent to one of the heavyweights in the West. Like That's how good their two best offensive players are. And if they have Lively, I want to give him a little love for his offense, and it's so much beyond dunking. My favorite thing about him is you trap one of those dudes on the pick-and-roll. He catches the ball 14 Mm -hmm. feet from the rim. He is not passing by default, it doesn't even matter if the help defender coming into him is a bigger guy. He can put the ball on the floor and hit a little hook shot. He's shooting 57% on floater range shots. Like, he's got a nice little soft touch. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned and Jones. That's that's what I was thinking, too, and I didn't know Kidd had said it. That lineup has only played 26 minutes together, plus 35 in 26 minutes, which is kind of like mathematically impossible to be that much of a plus in that little time. Um, but what has happened in amid these absences is Grant Williams has kind of been in, injured yeah. and banged up as an ankle injury. He'll be what he is, which will be useful. I thought he was going to start. They thought he was going to start. It hasn't turned out that way. That's fine. He'll play big minutes right. for them, decent minutes. Jaden Hardy has showed some signs of life recently. Josh Green has showed real yep. signs of life recently. All of a sudden, they look pretty deep. Well, and we you haven't.
2: You haven't mentioned Tim Hardaway Jr., who's a legit 6 Man of the Year candidate. Eighteen a game. Well, and, and while Luca's been out with a sprained ankle, Kyrie's been cooking. So has Hardaway. He's averaged thirty-two and change, very efficiently over these three games. That's why they've won two of them.
1: The tricky part is playing Tim, Kyrie, and Luca together is going to hurt your defense. Uh, but they, they'll do it here and there. Uh, and Kleba, you mentioned. You know, look, he he unlocks some flexibility like. Even in the Pelicans game yesterday, there was a lineup where I think Grant Williams was at center. They may have put Grant and Kleba together. There were five shooters on the floor, and Kyrie just yep. like drove to the rim. There was no big man waiting at the rim. You, you talk about Grant Williams and Derrick Jones Jr. at the four and the five. They played all three of Grant Williams, Derek Jones Jr., and Kleba together for a couple minutes in that game. It's just an interesting team. Um, I, I, I think this team could be good and dangerous um, if they can get their defense in order, which they have been. Now, the interesting thing is people have – Twitter people, not I have not heard any credible people um, have speculated about their fit as a Pascal Siakam team. Um, I, I don't really see it because I don't see what salary they have to send out that any of these teams are going to want. Like, kleba has got too much time left on his contract. Rishon Holmes has a player option for next season that nobody's going to want. Hardaway is not expendable. He's too good, you know, for $18 million a year. They do have one first-round pick. Yeah. And three swaps that they can trade. Someone mentioned Jeremy Grant um, to me as as a sort of like because his contract is so long, he's gettable at a, at a lower price. Is that a Mavs fit? I, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Siakam. And just, you know, if they just wait till the summer, all of a sudden they have three picks that become tradable. So maybe they just do nothing. But is there is there an upgrade out there that you've heard rumblings of?
2: Not necessarily rumblings. It's interesting. Grant Jeremy Grant was mentioned to me yesterday, and it, it wasn't from anybody like in the MAS front office or coaching staff, but somebody's around the team. Um, and th- that's interesting. I like with Siakam, you mentioned first of all, like what does the trade look like? Um, can they make the best trade for Siakam? But then there, there's just straight up there's concerns about so can wants a max. You've already got two guys at forty, you know, in that forty mil range, and in today's NBA, going forward with three guys making forty mil plus is is very difficult. difficult. Yeah, it, it, so you know, th- there's concerns there. Um, I would prefer if you're going to lock yourself into a number three guy that it's more of a shooting threat. Because, look, if you're playing with Kyrie and Luka, you will get open threes.
1: Although Pascal's been on fire from three for the last month, I just can't figure out. His true level is probably like league average or a little bit worse. That's probably where he is.
2: Yeah. Um, I I certainly expect.
1: A three point shooter, to be clear.
2: I I certainly expect the Mavericks to kick a whole bunch of tires. Like every time a GM comes through town, Nico Harrison, the Mavs GM's over there huddling up with them and and chit-chat and all those sorts of things. They're going to have a lot of conversations. Um, There was a desperation leading into the trade deadline last year. They got fortunate uh, that Kyrie Irving became available and uh, at a discount price because of a variety of issues. Um,
1: And by the way, you and I... Did not like that trade for them, and I I said on this podcast reacting to that trade, I'm just on the the school thought where like I'm not trading for Kyrie Irving, giving everything that's happened so far, and the key is always so far with Kyrie, like we got to eat crow on that. He's been yeah. really good and available, and there's been like really nothing noise wise. Like he is living up to that trade and that contract easily for them.
2: Well and he got a lot of uh, of flack last year because the Mavericks fell apart after that trade and anybody watching that team understood Kyrie's not the reason this team fell apart. um and this year, you know he he did have the the, I think he missed whatever it was two and a half three weeks with with the injury. Hey, guys get hurt, but uh you know, I talked to him a little bit after the game. Uh, yesterday after they beat the pelicans and he is at peace he is comfortable he is happy he is I have not heard anything but good things about him as a teammate the young guys on the roster love him they look up to him they consider him to be kind of a a, a role model type of guy and he's hooping I mean he is you know during his home stand he averaged 34 points. Efficiently. He's rebounding. He's diving on the floor. (laughs) I can, you know, the the Mavericks are are extraordinarily happy uh, that they were able to pull that off. And, you know, I mentioned the desperation last year. They're fortunate that the Bulls weren't shopping Zach Levine last year because the Mavericks wanted them to. The Mavericks wanted to, to make a move for Zach Levine. And I think they'd be much worse off now if they would have done that. Um, but, as it, it, you know, when I say there's not nearly as much desperation, that's because the Mavericks tanking late last season, embarrassing as it was, shameful as it was, was absolutely the right move and has paid massive dividends. Because if you are looking at why they're as competitive as they've been so far this season and why you can convince yourself that the arrow is pointing up, I would introduce you to a seven-foot-one, super-athletic, hard-working, low-maintenance big man named Derek Liver II. He has been worth every penny of that fine they had to pay for tanking and the embarrassment they endured and all that. He's also the exact kind of big that Luka Doncic has been craving. He is He's never gonna clog things up. I need post touches. I need post touches. He's gonna screen, he's gonna roll. You can throw it up to the third deck, and he's gonna be able to catch lobs. You mentioned he's got some playmaking ability, even in the short roll. He's Good gonna passer. rebound, he's gonna run, protect the rim. Uh, he, everything he does enhances Luca's brilliance and all of his strengths, Luca can maximize. And he he came in. They didn't think after summer league he was going to be ready. He made such massive strides in the two and a half months between summer league and the start of camp. His impact in winning as a rookie and he's never going to be like a primary offensive option type of player, but he has a chance to be a star role player for sure.
1: Yeah. They got a couple of those primary option kind of players on their team, uh, including a perennial MVP candidate who's playing better defense this year than ever in his life. Luka Doncic. Um, and Omax Prosper has barely played. That was the other big first-round pick they had, and, and he fits the template of kind of what they need in theory anyway. I don't know that I've heard a name, even just spitballing, like you and I were just worried about Jeremy Grant. Like, I'm not rushing into – I just – I don't think Jeremy Grant is good enough for me to rush into that contract if I'm the Mavs. As much as I might be hungry to win now because I got to win now, guys, I don't know that the right name is out there on Siakam. First of all, Siakam's people had to be smiling ear to ear when Detroit cleared even more cap space in the Marvin Bagley salary dump to the Wizards, which everyone's excited about the cap space for the Pistons. Great. We'll see what they do with the cap space. Hasn't worked out there with cap space in previous regimes, The new regime. We'll see what happens. Well, it really hasn't worked out for this regime either, but give them another shot. How about eating the mulligan on the Marvin Bagley contract, which was inexplicable the moment it was everyone around league was like what three years 36 million for marvin bagley how did that happen and now whatever years later months later whatever it is they have to trade two second round picks and a useful ish role player just to get out of that contract how many big men contracts are the pistons gonna have to eat picks to get out of in the next five years I'll um, say
2: this, as far as Marvin Bagley III Mulligans go, this is not the most painful one.
1: <laughs> I would say the
2: Kings taking him a pick before Lucas is a yeah. bit more painful.
1: <laughs> anyway, anyway, no Kings besmirching here. I, I think, see, I, you know, you guys talked on the Hoop Collective last week. I, I listened. Uh, I have a bone to pick with you, by the way, off Oh, your, your I, I remember taking
2: a shot. I don't remember exactly yeah, what You took it a was. shot at me. Um, uh, it was what a good-natured
1: shot, but it was a shot. Um, You mentioned, like, look, Pascal's next contract is baked in to whatever team decides to trade for him. And I do think he's going to get traded. I don't know when or where, but it seems like that's where we're heading. We talk to people around the league. Whoever trades for him is going to have some idea of his desire to resign there, and some idea of the price they are willing to pay to <laughs> I've get him. an
2: idea of the price.
1: <laughs> yeah, it might be the whole damn thing. You know, obviously, if he gets traded from the Raptors, he can't make all NBA and get this super max that you can only get that on your homegrown team or whatever. I just, if you're asking me to bet on a on a trade outcome, I still would bet on the Pacers right now. I don't know what the price will be, where and when, but they're the one team that's been kind of consistently in there, but look, if any of these teams thought maybe we can... And then there's the whole leverage game we play with the Raptors, right? If look, we can just get them in free agency, we're not going to give you everything now. Well, Detroit just now loomed itself as a threat in free agency, whether Siakam would actually want to go there or not, who knows. But
0: well, that would be my
1: bet on threat. them. But anyway, that's a that's a trade for you know the next three weeks. Tim McMahon, any closing thoughts on your hometown Dallas Mavericks?
2: Well, you know, I... I look forward to at some point seeing them healthy and uh i'll be honest they are they're much better not necessarily more interesting but they're much better than i anticipated they'd be this season
1: they're better and more interesting to me i for them well, to be 24 and 17 is a is a home run given their health issues
2: i i feared that the interest would not be a positive they were very interesting last season they weren't good
1: Yeah, that's true. But the interest on that kind of like you can only yell at them so often for tanking and being bad. Like it kind of expires. This is more interesting. It can go in a number of different directions. Tim McMahon, thank you, sir. I'll see you around.
2: I appreciate it. Adios, amigos.
1: Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Because at the eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Continuing our tour of Western Conference teams who are good and do not play in California. Hey, <laughs> the number one team in the West. Whoa, 28-11, and 11, still first in the West, The Minnesota Timberwolves. John Krasinski, I think we broke our streak of talking nicely about the Wolves and then something horrible happening. I think that streak has ended. The Wolves are 28-11, 20th in offense. we got to talk about that. Still first in defense and first by a lot, coming off a big win over the Clippers. Uh, How are you, sir?
0: I'm good, Zach. Good to be back here, and yeah, you're right. It's uh, these are weird times now. It feels like streaks are breaking. It feels like curses are lifting a little bit. We still got a long way to go, but it's a different feel around Minnesota these days with this basketball club for sure.
1: Can I tell you my favorite moment from that win over the Clippers? Please do. And you talked about ghosts of the past and all mm-hmm. this, and I I don't know if I'm on high alert for Clippers ghosts of the past because the Clippers mm-hmm. are like a cursed NBA franchise. Although I don't mm-hmm. really believe in that. But remember when they got James Harden, Paul George on Podcast P with Paul George started talking about lobby, 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 lobby. like all the (laughs) lobs that are coming. And like Mm -hmm. my spine tingled because that echoed the Lob City thing that Blake Griffin celebrating about how it's going to be Lob City. And that team was good, but ultimately fell short against the Minnesota Timberwolves two nights ago in Minnesota. The Clippers bench mob, which consisted of PJ Tucker, Bones Highland, and Vita Zubats who missed the game, and Ivica Zubats never misses games. They uh delighted in Rudy Gobert's first half uh struggles from the foul line, which included back-to-back air balls, I believe, on one on one trip. True. Um and and they they hammed it up, man. They like linked arms on the bench. They did the thing where you laugh and in anticipation of the second shot, and when it's an air ball, you kind of fall out of your seat dramatically, and they laughed and they hammed it up, and Rudy saw it. And after the second air ball. Rudy looked over there and gave him a little nod, like, "Mm mm-hmm, I see it. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the game, when the Clippers were trying to rally, they hacked Gobert on purpose, and he went four for four down the stretch in the last 90 seconds of the game. I loved it. It was sweet vengeance. And then I remembered, wait a second, I remember another Clippers team hamming it up like this (laughs) when an opposing player missed free throws. And you know what it was? It was in the bubble. When Damian Lillard, of all people, missed two free throws with the Blazers down one. And the Blazers, like, had to win every game or so. I can't remember what the – and it was Patrick Beverly in street clothes and Marcus Morris and Paul George. And Patrick Beverly did, like, the laughing, falling over thing. And we know what happened with the Clippers in the bubble. And, John, I'm starting to get worried that the the basketball gods are sending signals. But hats off to Rudy Gobert. That was a fun moment, and you wrote about it after the game. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I did. And, you know, uh, there was two things that stuck out about that moment, because one is that Rudy absolutely did see it. He processed it. He kind of filed it away for later in the game and he knocks down all four free throws in the clutch moments. And also, if you remember, Zach, Russell Westbrook, who was actually filmed like turning his back. From the Rudy on the free throw line, and a fan was filming to me saying, Tell me what happens. I, I can't even watch it. Russell Westbrook missed two wide open layups.
1: Yeah. No, did elite jump shooter Russell Westbrook <laughs> yes.
0: miss two wide open layups? One in the third quarter that would have kind of helped get them closer, and then right at the end, the last play of the game, just bricked a wide open layup. And so, absolutely, karma coming back to the Clippers in that case. And not only did Rudy hit all of those free throws. He was dominant in the fourth quarter, uh, scoring, rebounding, blocking shots, controlling the game like he's done all season long. And I can tell you that the Timberwolves very much enjoyed seeing it play out the way that it did um, in in the locker room after the game.
1: Poor Rudy, man. (laughs) Like, why? Why? Is it because he's tall and a little bit awkward? Is it because yes. he's French? And I don't like I don't understand. it's there everybody Rudy is like the NBA's most decorated punch punching bag yes. in history. I was gonna say punchline, but he's not a punchline because he's a very good player. He's gonna be mm-hmm. probably gonna make the Hall of Fame. I mean, you don't win four or three or four defense players of the year, you get in the Hall of Fame. Unless you're on his team, he becomes this target for mockery. That like everybody just mocks him all the time, and he just has to grin. And now look, he brought it on himself a little bit with the COVID stuff, and and you know licking the phones or sure. whatever he did, or breathing on the phones. But man, all that guy, he's trying his best from the foul <laughs> line. Everyone's laughing at him, and then he then he comes back. He has been the best defensive player in the uh, in the league this year. He is the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year, and he should be. And this team. Like, their defense has stood the test of time. This is a legit, elite, number one by two whole points per 100 possessions, which yeah. is a lot. It's a very good defense. And you wrote a great piece. I want you to expound upon this a little bit. People remember, if, if there are two concerns about the Wolves, as like, okay, now, now it's going to be interesting, John. You've never covered, I don't think, a Wolves team that is going to enter the playoffs with expectations and pressure.
0: Oh, absolutely not. Not even close.
1: And they're going to find that that world as the number Mm -hmm. one or number two or number three seed is a different world of scrutiny and Mm -hmm. pressure. And if that first round series, whoever it is against, is 1-1 or they're down 2-1, it's going to get loud and nasty real fast. But if there are two concerns about their ability to withstand that in the playoffs, I think the cliche concern would be, well, Rudy gets played off the floor by small ball lineups in the playoffs. Um, That's actually not the one I'm concerned about. We'll get to my concern later. You wrote about why that is perhaps a fallacy based on what happened when the Clippers played the Jazz in the sort of nadir of that era for the Jazz. Expound upon that, please.
0: Right. So uh, there is this long-running theory that Rudy Gobert is so limited offensively and kind of this big slower guy on defense that you can go small with him and uh and play him off the floor or render him completely ineffective and um that the the kind of flash bulb moment of that is game six against the los angeles clippers western conference semifinals in uh, 2021, and the the Jazz had a 2-0 lead to open that series. They were number one in the West. They were favored in that series. They opened at two-no nothing. Tyloo changes some things up with his rotations, goes a little smaller, and the Clippers come back and they win three in a row. And then they go into Game Six. They put Terrence Mann in the starting lineup. At that point, we didn't really know Terrence Mann that well. He's averaging seven points a game. He was shooting 40% from three on very low volume, but. Basically, the Utah Jazz strategy was we're going to put Gobert on man in this very small lineup, and that will allow him to linger a little closer to the rim, stop the penetration from Paul George and Reggie Jackson. That was absolutely killing them. And you just dare Terrence Mann to beat you. Well, he did. He hit seven of 10 three-pointers. You could see over and over in that game, Rudy Gobert sort of caught in no man's land. Does he get out to contest the three from man? Does he stay at the rim? And 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 try and shut off the uh, the the penetration, and it was just drive and kick, drive and kick, drive and kick. Man, thirty nine points. Clippers come back to win, and that brought a ton of scrutiny onto Rudy Gobert. Look at this guy; he can't he, he can't perform in the playoffs against small ball lineups. He's an oaf. He's he can't an oaf. move. Yes, and so and what Utah people, members of the Jazz organization, people who are around that team a lot, told me after the trade was that actually Rudy Gobert was the one that was covering everyone on the court. And, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, Boyan Bogdanovich, guys on the perimeter could not guard for Utah. And so you Rudy was having to just cover everything and it was not working. And the difference here and what Rudy talked about after the beating the Clippers on Sunday was that he has people on the Timberwolves who guard on the perimeter. And you have Jaden McDaniels, you have Anthony Edwards, Mike Conley knows where to be. Carl Anthony Towns is actually having his best defensive season um, as a power forward. You have Nikhil Alexander-Walker, you have Kyle Anderson. All of these guys can take pressure off and eliminate the penetration that allows Rudy to not have to do five things at once. And so now you are seeing him close out on Paul George on the perimeter and actually handle, look okay in that. Now you're seeing him block more shots at the rim because he's able to stay home and doesn't have to worry about getting elsewhere. And so the Timberwolves have this really nice, the The jaw Jazz were built great around Rudy Gobert offensively. That was a perfect offense for him. This is the perfect defense for Rudy Gobert in Minnesota, and that's what gives the Timberwolves hope that maybe they can change that narrative in the playoffs, that maybe they will not be able to be neutralized as quickly as those jazz teams were.
1: So the other difference, it's not just that the that Minnesota has vastly better defensive players individually than those jazz teams did. And those jazz teams had, you know, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, mm-hmm. guys who were heady and smart, but sometimes against quicker guys were low overmatched, you know, smaller guards, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Donovan Mitchell was a disaster in some of those playoff series defensively. Um, the Wolves are also enormous, like across yes. the board, enormous. And what that means is the driving lanes are a little smaller. And like sometimes, so Jada McDaniels can rotate, can like kind of half rotate, lunge over, and then get back. And all of a sudden, like he's back in front of you and that driving lane you thought was there is not there. So that's one drive where Rudy Gobert, if you're playing five out, doesn't have to come from the corner to the rim. He can stay in the corner. And it just, he has to, everyone has to cover less space because all f- four of the five players other than Conley are giant for their positions. I mean, Anthony Edwards is a big, big two guard. Jada McDaniels is enormous for a wing. Um, and Rudy, to his credit, has gotten, I think, more aggressive at if you put a smaller guy on him or he has a smaller guy in transition, he's running to the rim and sealing with kind of a new ferocity and polish that you used to only see when you would play for the French national team and the wolves will throw him the ball. And yeah, Yeah. sometimes it don't look pretty. Like he'll bring the ball down and pump and lurch around a little bit. But if you got a guard on him, he will go up and just dunk. It might take a couple of, you know, gathers and whatever, and maybe he'll get fouled. And and I know he struggled. What is he at 65%? He's not like a horrible foul shooter. Um, and the Wolves, and I think that's important, like Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, those guys got away with guarding him, partly because he, he wasn't sealing as aggressively, and partly because the Jazz would just not throw him the ball, they didn't trust him, the Wolves trust him a little bit more, and he's generally, I think, again, he can he can be a little awkward and turnover prone, but he's generally paid that trust back.
0: Right. And, and last year's act, they did not trust him. Anthony Edwards wouldn't throw him the ball in the playoffs because they just didn't have the chemistry and trust built up. This year, it's a lot different. Carl Anthony Towns has been at the forefront of that. He has been one of the most willing passers to Rudy Gobert on this team. And he has thrown him lobs. He's thrown him entry passes. He has really kind of helped bring Rudy along from an offensive standpoint. And that chemistry is getting to be pretty good. Anthony Edwards is now throwing him the ball a little bit more, which is which is a plus coming off of the penetration that he can create. And Rudy is getting more confident as you said, Zach, in in doing things to make himself an offensive threat. Uh his shooting percentages are down. In, in comparison to the record-setting years he was having right before he came here, he was 71% from the field when he came to Minnesota in his last season in Utah. He's at like 63% right now, but he's trying little jump hooks. He's He is getting to the basket, backing them in. He has 122 dunks this season. I think that's second most in the NBA right now. I'm not sure if that's updated or not yet, but right around there. So he's being really aggressive, going to the rim, and he is becoming someone that you cannot just ignore. And that's going to be crucial to their playoff hopes because he is going to see a lot of Drew Holiday on him if they were ever to make the finals, like smalls that 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 will try and rotate and hope that he cannot burn them. And they're going to have to find ways to make that work. Kyle Anderson and, and Kat throwing him that lob on the little half penetration has been really effective for them.
1: God, I love Slow-mo. I love everything yeah. about Slow Mo. So you
0: said you said a lot of things there. Um, Rudy, jump hooks. Yes, I know. Me. It's it's not and he's t- he's actually taken a couple of little jumpers.
1: No, no, no. I don't not I'm good. not I'm not rubbing my eyes because I minded. Yeah. I was okay. rubbing my eyes to 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 jog my brain what I was gonna say. Yeah. He'll also bring the ball up in transition, which yeah. is quite an NBA adventure. <laughs> and like yes. I assume that's one of those like no 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 yes kind of things where Chris Finch has just learned to be like you know what we asked this dude to do a lot of dirty work on defense he doesn't get to have that much fun with the ball if he grabs and goes we just gotta let it ride like we gotta ride the roller coaster and see where it ends up and sometimes it ends up actually kind of well and sometimes it ends up with like is there a guard nearby give the ball <laughs> to the guard please the second thing you mentioned cat and I've talked a lot on this podcast about cat's adaptability and you wrote about this the other day about Carl kind of finding his new water level as a second option. Mm. Um, But it's, it's actually quite a hard needle to thread when you think about it. He's now the second option. Anthony Edwards is the first option. And he's the second option on a team where he's playing with a traditional center who owns the paint. That's hard for a guy who's played a lot of five to adjust to, and he's done well. My question for you is this. We all know this is a very strange situation, and there have not been many like it in NBA history where they have this financial sort of Damocles hanging over their heads all season long. Everybody knows it. I assume even the, the players who are quite good at kind of blocking out cap stuff and trade stuff and all that, I assume they all know it on, on some level. They have $170 million committed to six guys next year. Cat, Ant, Nas Reed, who's amazing, Rudy Gobert, Jaden McDaniels and Nikhil Alexander Walker, who's one of their three critical bench players. That's basically you're at the tax for six guys. We all know this. Everybody knows this. The world knows it. That doesn't include Kylie Anderson. It doesn't include a point guard unless you count Alexander Walker, who's kind of their backup point guard right now. Uh, doesn't include Mike Conley, obviously. Do they just not talk about it? Like, is it one of these things where everyone's agreed, like, nope, we're just not talking about it for the rest of the year? We all know it. Like, Carl must know on some level if this goes badly in the playoffs. I I'm the most likely out here because that's just the reality of it. But is it like Voldemort? Just nobody says it. Nobody talks about it.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's the players have done a good job of not acknowledging it. Um Carl absolutely understands the dynamics that are at play here, and he knows that there's plenty of chatter about trades and and the future of this team and and all of those things, but. I think right now, because of the level of success that they're having on their court, they're able to shut that out a little bit more. If they were their typical Timberwolves that were hanging around the the um, play-in tournament type of, of seating and scratching and clawing, I think you would feel a lot more pressure internally in the locker room. Uh, and then I think the other part that that it has allowed te- the, the players and coaches to really not make that front and center is that, it's still you really just don't know how this whole ownership situation is going to play out. For those who are unfamiliar, Glenn Taylor has agreed to sell the team to Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie. They have uh, the, Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie have until March, I believe, to make their final payment and then go through legal approval to become uh, majority owners of this team. And all signs are that it's going in that direction and that things are going to play out that way. But we haven't seen what Laurie and A-Rod want to do and how financially aggressive they're going to want to be. If this team goes to the NBA finals, can I see this team paying a big tax and trying to ride it out for a year or two? Yes, I can. If the team flames out early on in the first round of the playoffs and gets upset. Yeah. Then I think there are going to be real hard questions to, to ask and probably going to be some changes that are made. But I think most of the players have just put that out of their mind right now and said, we're, we have, you know, for cat, he's been here nine years and he's lost a lot and he's been through a lot of dysfunction. And so there's a part of him that's sort of enjoying this moment right now of real success and kind of showing the rest of the league that he can be impactful on a very good team. And however it shakes out, it shakes out. But uh, for I have not sensed anything really within the team that, that says, you know, we're on borrowed time here. I think they're just going to let it all play out and see what happens.
1: So a, a number of people have cautioned me this, front office executives from other teams, to be clear, said, you know, everyone's talking about this tax issue I've called it the financial sort of Damocles like that tax. They don't have to pay that tax until next season is over. Exactly. So like you can go into next season way over the tax and see what life looks like in January a year from now and figure it out ahead of the trade deadline. They don't. It's not like this summer. They have to preemptively get under the tax. It would be helpful, but they don't have to. Number two, obviously it goes without saying, I'm just going to be crystal clear. They're not doing any cost-cutting trade this season. The team no. is too good. They're going to yes. ride this out and see what happens. Number three, you said if this team makes the finals, do you pay a tax bill? If the answer is not yes to that, like if this team makes the NBA finals, do you keep everyone together and pay the tax and build the team around? If the answer is not yes, the new owners should sell the team immediately. Okay, right. Because if the team makes the finals, you just keep, every, you keep all the core guys and you try to make the finals again. That's it. By the way, you can – This is how broken my brain is. Just every time anyone, and it just happened with you, says the words Alex Rodriguez, (laughs) the first thing I think of is Bronson Arroyo. Still, to this day, (laughs) 20 years later, I think of Alex Rodriguez cheating like a typical (laughs) New York Yankee cheat, trying to knock the ball out of Bronson Arroyo's hands at first base and the greatest comeback in the history of sports and then apoplectic, like I, like an NBA player, actually. Like, who I, I didn't foul anybody. <laughs> How, what is the, oh, the replay shows that I clotheslined a guy in the head. Well, I didn't do anything. A-Rod, I will never get, I don't know where Bronson Arroyo is today. He could be the manager of the Red Sox for all I know. All I can think about with A-Rod is, um, and I don't know if I, t- my dad is a lifelong uh, New Hampshire native, uh, lifelong Red mm-hmm. Sox fan. Yes. And I grew up a Mets fan um, because they were the local team. And my dad cautioned me. Against liking the Red Sox I wanted to like the Red Sox because they were his team and he's like, you know It's just misery just pick just don't pick the Yankees pick a National League team pick the Mets. And so I picked the Mets and That 2004 run we're getting very sidetracked here <laughs> That was the most fun I've ever had as a sports fan and they weren't mm-hmm. even my team because all I mm-hmm. wanted I just wanted my dad to see the Red Sox win one time I mean like you didn't know that they were gonna win What mm-hmm. if they won three or four more times since yeah. then I drove I was covering night. I was on the night police beat for the Stanford Advocate newspaper. <laughs> and I told them all, as long as the Red Sox are alive in this series, I'm leaving work early and watching the last three innings of these games with my dad. And because he lived about 15 minutes away from the newspaper. And I did. And I was driving, speeding in to my parents' driveway when, and listening to the radio call when A-Rod knocked the ball out out of arroyo's hands and i can hear john miller's voice that i believe it was john miller on national call saying a catastrophe for the red sox because it looked like they had blown it and i'm running in the house trying to figure out what had happened and that's what had happened okay john sorry
0: well i can that just say the- zach real quickly like you're the only person i've ever heard who has anything bad to say about a rod so this is like very very <laughs> uh unique on that part so uh f- it was funny the most funny fun i've say. ever
1: had. watching my dad get to see the red sox one was it the- was the best thing ever um I mentioned before that there were two concerns about the Wolves' playoff viability, contender finals viability, and one yeah. we we addressed and dismissed. The one that's actually concerning to me is that their offense is 20th. Um, and we're halfway through the season now, and this is a bottom 12 NBA offense. They are 28th in turnover rate, just maddening turnovers. And it's it's easy to say, well, if they just correct that, everything's fine because they're shooting well from three. They take generally pretty good shots. Um they have sacrificed offensive rebounding for transition defense, which is a trade-off that has actually worked. Like, their transition defense has gone from horrible to really, really good. Um, it's not so much the turnovers that concern me as when it gets down to gut check time in the playoffs, it's do I trust the collective decision-making of this team and specifically do I trust Edwards and Towns with the ball in their hands to make the right play almost every time? And that sounds crazy because Anthony Edwards has been a great crunch time shot maker and will continue to be. He can get a little shot happy, and Chris Finch has talked about this. He talked about this after one of their recent games. Sometimes the right play for him is the easy pass, the simple play. Draw, kick, let the offense move. And sometimes the ball will get back to you instead of forcing your third straight step back 20-footer as awesome as those are when they go in. And Cat just gets like weird turnover-itis or foul-itis sometimes, but turnover-itis in big games. That's where Conley comes in as a stabilizer. And when you watch this team, every time they get a little off kilter, you've seen it, they call the same play. Conley-Gobert, side pick and roll, no empty side pick and roll. settled. It's their settle down play. So what I'm asking you is, what is the temperature take on this offense? What has to happen for this because 20th look they can get real far in the playoffs because their defense is so good. At some point that offense is going to become has to become a little cleaner for them to get where they want to go.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a constant conversation all season long and Chris Finch has expressed some frustration, exasperation at times with decision making and and turnovers because when you look at their raw numbers you can look at it, and right now, Zach, they are sixth in the NBA in field goal percentage. They are third in the NBA in three point percentage. They're actually second
1: if you exclude garbage time and heaves on cleaning the glass. They're second. Like they're great. Cra- they're shooting the hell out of it.
0: In 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 clutch situations, best winning percentage in the league. They're twelve and four. Their field goal percentage is third in clutch situations, fifty percent. Their three point percentage is seven. So when they make when they get shots. They get the shots that they want and they make them, but they turn the ball over too much and the offensive rebounding has not been uh not, not been great for reasons you articulated. So their field goal attempts are dead last in the league. They don't take enough shots. Every game their opponent is taking 10, now, 12, 13 more shots per game. The and one that's one caveat. Really-
1: the one caveat is they get to the free throw line a lot, which they do. depresses their raw field goal attempts. But generally, that is, you're right, the field goal. It's funny that sometimes you just look at the simplest stat. like, how many shots did you take? It's like, yeah. oh, that seems like a problem.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And so what they are trying to do and what Chris Finch and Mike Conley in particular – Every if you go into the locker room after most games, Mike Conley is talking to Anthony Edwards and they're just going over situations and scenarios. Chris Finch goes over it with him in film sessions and they are trying to get a 22 year old to kind of expedite the learning curve and and get to a spot where he is. Trusting his teammates to get off of the ball when the double comes because it comes often in that situation and and trust that it's going to come back to him in a better position. And I think we're starting to see more of that lately. Uh, Kawhi Leonard even talked about it after the Clippers game about how patient Anthony Edwards was in that game. And patience is going to be the key because he can get trigger happy when he doesn't get a shot up in two, three minutes. He wants to get it going. And sometimes it's great. Sometimes he makes unbelievable contested shots. His bank shot mid-range game is such a weapon. The bank
1: shot is just ridiculous. Like I I said this last week, I don't think any player has ever made a bigger year-to-year improvement in bank shots than Anthony Edwards he's banking these shots like from almost the sideline on purpose it's like crazy
0: from 18 feet yeah it's 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 unbelievable and and that is what Zach gives the Timberwolves confidence that they can iron this out over the course of the season because he has proven to be so coachable in that Denver playoff loss last year he looked at it and said I need to be more multifaceted in terms of getting buckets in crunch time. So all summer long he worked on that bank shot, he worked on that mid-range game and he's been really good in that in that respect. Now it's about making the right decision. It's about doing that over and over again. And with cat, uh that's that's going to be a challenge for him because I do think that he gets uh excited in those moments and sometimes a little bit, he wants to make a great play instead of just the solid play. And, and that is a problem for this offense. And so all over and over again, that just underscores the importance of Mike Conley. Uh, Chris Finch has said it after seven or eight games this year, I need to get the ball in Mike's hands more. I need to get put the ball in his hands late in games. And he is the one that quarterbacks this thing and either gets a shot for himself It's a lob for Rudy gets gets something good for the Timberwolves. But um, eventually they have to be not as reliant on 36 year old Mike Conley. They have to be reliant on their two stars. And I think that's still very much a work in progress.
1: You said the words learning curve, which I thought was very apt because Mm -hmm. that was the bet in the Gobert trade as much as it was a bet on Gobert and boy, was it a bet. It was a bet on like, all right, we got to win immediately. Like, that's the bet we just made. Rudy Gobert is almost 30. We gave up every first-round pick in perpetuity, essentially, for him. If we're going to win big, this 21-year-old kid's got to be the number one option in big playoff games, and he's got to be steady enough to do it. That's the bet. And the thing about Ant is – He's actually a good passer when he engages that part of his game. And it doesn't have to be tricky. It's just this: when you get the pick and roll, two come to you, the corner guys open, just make that pass. The guy on the wings open because they're sloughing off him, just make that pass. Let Jaden McDaniels attack a diagonal. And Chris Finch has talked about how Jaden is kind of the bellwether for their offense. Mm-hmm. When he starts to get closeouts to attack – He's become pretty good at it. Like, if you give him a defender running him off the arc, he can pump and go and finish at the rim, make the next pass. That's when they start to get rolling a little bit in a way that is harder to guard. Even, like, I think it was Terrence Mann maybe against the Clippers. Ant had a post-up late in that game where he scored like a little 8-foot jumper. And I just bookmarked it. Like, it was against a smaller player. That's why I think maybe it was Mann. I don't know who it was. And I bookmarked it in my head because I remember talking before last season with Ant about his post game about how he had very few post touches and he's a big two guard he's going to get chances particularly because that was coming off the playoff series against Memphis when he hunted Morant a lot Mm -hmm. and tried to get that matchup and he talked about like I want to build that I want to build that part of my game and it hasn't really happened and part of the reason it hasn't really happened is like they got two big guys who are inside all the time like but part of the reason I like that for him is not necessarily the scoring it's it's an easy way to draw two and see the whole floor in front of you and unlock a little bit of his passing. So I just I just bookmarked that. That's all.
0: Yeah, he's. I mean, he for all of his charisma, for all of his kind of funny sayings, and uh, you know, after games and 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 the the youth that comes out and and when you talk to him after games and this exuberance and stuff, he is very uh, coachable and and smart in terms of how, what he needs to do on the floor and how he can get better and attack weaknesses. And there are very few players on this team, Zach, that uh, will absorb criticism or scrutiny and, and in, do it in the right way. He doesn't get defensive about it. He takes it in from the people that he trusts. He thinks about it, and he finds a way to fix it. And it doesn't happen overnight, but, uh, but in general, when you are emphasizing something with him, he, from, you know, when you do it one game in two or three games, you can say, OK, he's he's working on this. He is getting he he is understanding the problem here. And so we even saw it with the with the turnovers late against the Clippers. One rushed shot, one throw away in transition, just like that's still a 22 year old that wants to go for the kill shot all of the time. He loves to stick the dagger in. And that is admirable. Um, it's a great quality for a number one, uh, offensive player to have, but there's also a way to find the right spot so that you can make sure you make contact there instead of flailing. And he's still working on that part of it.
1: Real quick. Um, one of the reasons to really like this team, there's a stability to It's it's base. Like it's floor is pretty high game because yes. of its defense, because it has a very set in stone eight man rotation, the starting five, then Nas Reed, Kyle Anderson and Alexander Walker off the bench. And if you just look at, I, I looked at all their different big man combinations, all pairs of cat Gobert, cat Reed, read go bear. The three of them, uh, each one as the only big man, which is rare. They don't do that much. They're all very really solidly positive, except for Nas Reed as the only big man on the floor, which is not something you're going to see all that much. So everything they're doing is working pretty well. Those three guys are rock solid bench players. The ninth guy has, like, Troy Brown Jr. has come in and give them some good games. Jordan McLaughlin, like, made his midseason cameo, then mm-hmm. annual midseason cameo, give them some good games. They have – Shake Milton hasn't been what they hoped for, but he's sitting there just in case. I, that's a – Eight-man rotation is great. They don't have a lot of stuff to trade. Is there any – Is there a move on the margins that you expect them to make or try to make?
0: I, I do expect them to be very active and having conversations. Now, you're right. It's, it's not going to – I don't think it's going to be for a major move, but there are – areas that they know that they need to address one is do you need a backup point guard for Mike conley they're going to be playing a ton of back-to-backs over this second half of the season Yeah, they um, only played
1: 39 games they played one of the, the fewest games yeah right and
0: and, w- and one of the fewest uh, numbers of back-to-backs as well and that's all going to catch up with them in the second in the second half of the season so do you need someone to steady that out and be more reliable there um that's one area and then i think the other area is some sort of bucket getter uh, in that second unit because they wanted shake Milton to be that maybe he can still eventually become that, but he's just really hasn't shot the ball well at all. And so is it, you know, do they go, go out and try and find someone like that who can give you more offense from the perimeter. And especially from the three point range, because this team doesn't shoot a lot of threes. They shoot, they make 38% of their threes, but they only shoot 31 a game and, and they need to, I think need to get that volume up if they're going to kind of help this offense improve from 20th into 15, 10 area, they have to shoot more threes. Carl Anthony Towns has to shoot more threes, but finding a bench scorer that could do that for them and, and come out and and, and outside Nas Reed, give them 12, 15 points in a game, I think is, is something that they're going to look really hard at as the deadline approaches here.
1: Look, here's where we are. The the West is there for them,
0: like it is. like
1: the the in, the Lakers. Unless the Suns like really figure it out and become the team that everyone feared, we'll see. The Lakers, they're fi- they, they might figure some stuff out. They started this new line or new old lineup last night. Like maybe that works for them, maybe it doesn't. They don't appear to be on track to figuring it out in like a big, super dangerous way. Now you never underestimate them in a playoff setting with those two dudes at the top of their roster. The Warriors don't appear to be anywhere close to figuring anything out. The Thunder are awesome. They have the second-best net rating in the league, the best net rating in the Western Conference. They're also young. Like, we'll see how they do in their first go-around of the playoffs. I think they're really, really good. The Clippers loom as, like, oh, my God, are they, Are they the, like, when you when you factor in experience, are they, like, becoming the favorite in the West? Maybe, maybe. We'll see. Like, we know what James Harden's done in the playoffs. I love what the Clippers have, have been doing lately. I'm excited to go to their game tonight. Um, but this is there for a minute. Like, I'll tell you right now, Unless this offense stabilizes a little bit, they will not be my pick to win the Western Conference in the playoffs. I just, I just can't trust their offense. But they have forty games to iron it out, and I, it's there, like it's there for them. Like they, this, there's, if they can just get this a little cleaner, there's a pathway where they can make the finals, like hundred percent for sure.
0: It's wide open that way, and and I can tell you that the people in the organization feel that too, Zach. Um, this, they know that this is a very rare moment for this franchise from one through eight, like you said, from a talent standpoint, they are not going to be looking up at many teams that they play game in and game out and certainly not even in the playoffs. And that is where I do think I'm going to be interested to see Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie and how they operate going into this trade deadline because they have been aggressive. They went out and paid a bunch of money for Tim Connolly. They okayed the Rudy Gobert deal. Um, And so they have shown that they're going to go after things when it's right there. And I believe that this organization thinks that this opportunity is there for them, that this window is open for the next year or two. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all for them to be aggressive at the deadline. But they also know that they have put together a squad that can make a really deep run in the playoffs. And that is something that just doesn't happen here. I'll just give you this one stat, Zach, that I want you know on, on November 30th, they were 15 and four. They were the outright number one seed in the West for 10 days in a row at that point. In their previous 34 years of existence, they had been the outright number one seed in the West for 10 days. They have held that since then. It's like 57 days now. Now they've had a tie here or there with OKC, but for the majority of it, they've been here. This This is how rare this success is for this franchise, and I don't think that anyone here wants to let that slip away.
1: Just don't jinx it. (laughs)
0: that's what i do that's that's it seems what i do in 20 years on this beat
1: all right john krasinski look there's just nobody better uh covering a team than than john read everything he does covering the wolves in the general nba he has we didn't get to talk about it you have an absolutely beautiful story about ricky rubio who just announced his retirement from the nba a couple weeks ago and his time in minnesota just like knockout coverage across the board thank you for lending us some of your time and hopefully i'll see you soon
0: anytime zach thanks for having me
1: for the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the Clutch hits, Strikeouts, Grand Salamis, Web Gems with nothing. On your roof, so who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill seeking raccoons, watch out for them you name it. They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream. Your team. Call 1 800 DirecTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All right, let's round this out with a Southwest division. More Southwest division. I think it's a Southwest division. I don't even know. Running to the airport. Yes. Formerly our New York New Orleans Pelicans slash Zion beat reporter, still on that beat kind of, but now has shifted into Texas on the Wemby beat, has a piece out this week on Victor Wemanyama playing center over the last six weeks for the Spurs and what that's done. Andrew Lopez, how are you?
3: Uh I am I am warmer than the rest of San Antonio, uh mostly because I am in Atlanta on this Spurs uh five, five game road trip before so headed headed to Boston. Uh, I think in a couple of hours, so a little a little warmer than than most uh, Spurs fans right now.
1: It's fun vindication for those of us who have been baffled all season by Greg Popovich's refusal to start Trey Jones <laughs> and play him with Victor Webanyama. Like, for I, I literally was like, I don't know what the hell Trey Jones did, um, but now it got it works. I think their net rating is like still slightly positive for the season. Oh my god, who knew a real point guard could help the San Antonio Spurs? <laughs>
3: It was it was kind of funny because the Trey minutes started fantastic. They were one of the only net ratings that they had that was positive through through the first couple of weeks of the season. Dude, you know how hard it is to bench. have
1: a, a positive net rating for any duo that plays a lot of minutes on a team that's flirting with the worst net rating in like almost modern NBA history. You know how hard that is.
3: It is. It is very hard, and the fact that they were able to do that, uh, it it took a dip. I want to say like late November, early December, and then every lineup just just looked bad at that point. But now they've started to figure some things out. It, Trey looks great right now. I think it's the only two-man lineups with Victor that are positive ratings right now are Trey at plus four or five. And I think now Devin Vassell, and I think, it, I think that's .5 right now, Um I think they got a lot of that back after being benched yesterday in uh to start the second half in in atlanta but i mean things are are, are trending the right way and it, and it all kind of started with we should probably just play Vic at center
1: yeah um and not i, I don't want to bury the lead let's just talk about it yama he's no. incredible <laughs> he's um ridiculous. it turns out he's absolutely incredible uh, I've been saying all year, like, forget the shooting inefficiencies and off whatever stat. The crazy thing about him is even when they were playing him at the four defensively on the wing, he's so goddamn big and long and fast yeah. that he still had a massive impact. Like, I didn't think they were sacrificing that much defensively by having him on the wing instead of in the middle where he is now and his rim protection is, like, massively effective because he's just an all-court wrecking crew by himself. But the biggest thing that you detailed is his shots, his shots, not selection, just the shots he's getting, His quality. so many more of them are at yep. the rim, so many fewer of them are threes, which he's under 30%, I think, for the season, um, and long twos. And you saw in that Hawks game, you mentioned they benched three starters, then they brought him back in, and Wemby made <laughs> 11 consecutive shots, one more terrifying than the next, and um, or each more terrifying than the last, whatever is appropriate, and you see it in transition almost more than the half court. But the Spurs ball handlers, and like I don't even think Vassell has had that great of a season on either end of the floor. Flanker, I think his development on defense has been a little disappointing. I still think he's easily the second most important Spur mm-hmm. long term, and I'm a big fan. But like I haven't loved his season. But he, he and Trey Jones and others are like, oh, we just throw the ball. Like, and that's the thing about Wemby is. You think putting him at center is like he's going to be Tyson Chandler getting these like pick and roll lob dunks. Right. And he'll get some of those. But sometimes, and this is very handy for a bad team, you don't even have to like run anything or do any action that compromises the defense at all and puts them in rotation. And then with six on the shot clock, you just be like, let's well, just throw it up into the middle and that dude will catch it. Or in transition, just heave it up and that dude will catch it. And they're doing more of that.
3: The transition yesterday uh, or against the Hawks was the thing that kind of stood out to me the most, because that's when they're starting to figure out more and more, because there, there was a little bit of a lull where you have the seven, four, seven, five guy running down the court, or he's got position on somebody and they they weren't throwing the lobs. And it's like, what, what is happening? And we asked him about this a couple of weeks ago. He goes, Oh, I heard it. I, I, I heard what you're saying. He goes, or, you know, with, with all the, all the fan, all, everybody else is saying about my, my teammates don't want to throw me the ball. He's like, that's that's fine. He's like, we all understand. We're all on the same page. And then slowly but surely, they have started to realize, oh, yeah, let's just get it to the 7-4 guy around the rim. Sometimes that results in turnovers, but more often than not, it results in Wimby at least catching it. And against the Hawks, it was three or four straight times, including, in, like you said, in transition. There were at least two, maybe three, where he just outran Capella down the court. Just made basket by the Hawks. And they're getting oops on the other end.
2: caw
3: that's my sad cuckaw instead of the Hawks.
2: Cuckaw.
3: So they're starting to figure it out more in pick and rolls. They're starting to figure it out. There was a, a few against the Hornets the other night where I think it was two or three in a row. It might have been three in a row where they just, oh, just oop, 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 layup. Oh, I can get this dunk now because you overplayed the oop. So they're starting to learn more about him, and he's he's enjoying this. He's embracing it. He he likes it. I remember it was back in the preseason when – a reporter asked him a question about whether or not you would like to be the screen setter or having the screen set for you as the center. And he took, he's like, I'm I'm not a center. He stopped it right there. He said, I'm not a center, but, and then continued on with his answer. He said that back at the draft. He said that several times, even when we've talked to him about it. However, he's like, I, this was in the article we had up on Monday. I can be the center 30, I might be the five on paper, but I could play the one 30% of the time. When we played the the Pistons and I had the triple-double, I was the one. When we played the Hornets, I was the five. He goes, I like that. So he well, is he is embracing me, the role just as much as anything else.
1: To me, his position is more relevant, as is the case for most players, on defense. You yes. are who you guard. And if he's guarding the five on the other team, that means he's around the basket. And if he's around the basket, that means he's blotting, blotting out a million feet of space around the <laughs> rim, and you can't even see the goddamn basket when you get in there. Offensively, he's correct. Like, he'll run an inverted pick and roll. He'll, like, bring the ball up and be like, okay, Jetty Osmond, you're around. Come come screen for me. Um And I'm calling it right now, by the way. The next 5 by 5 game in the NBA, which is more than five points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks, is going to be Wembenyama. He will be the next five. I don't think there's been one. We did this a, a, a couple weeks ago. I think Nurkic has the Nurkic, last one. Yeah,
3: Nurkic has the last one. And I think it was like a 2020 game. Like, it was an
1: insane game from Nurkic. I think Wemby's doing it. And because you nailed it. I, I think the, the biggest, I don't know if it's a surprise because you saw saw some of it in Europe. But the biggest, almost as much as the shot distribution, moving to center has really unlocked his passing. And he, like, yes. Might be the second best passer on the team after Trey Jones. And like, considering his position, his passes are sort of equally powerful and valuable because when he's at the five and he's handling the ball at the elbow, that means the center is at the elbow, the opposing center, and there's no shot blocking. And like, you start cutting and moving. And like, you can see him in the way he directs cutters, in the way he sometimes gets a little cranky when somebody doesn't cut. He reads the game. Faster than most rookies ever will read the game. Faster than a lot of his veteran teammates. Like, that's the most encouraging sign to me is how quickly, like, he's a step ahead on offense, and that's going to translate to defense. And I I don't, I, look, there's not a lot of reasons to watch the Spurs. Obviously, there's one big one, and he's been every bit the superstar rookie that people expected. When he's
3: coming back on the, there's many times a game, and this always doesn't get shown on the broadcast, but, you know, when you're in the arena and you see it, He's always talking to teammates. He's always talking. He's always either congratulating them on something or, you know, hey, no, you cut here. He'll get in guys' faces. He'll, you know, he wants to be that guy. And I think as much as that, he wants to be coached. He wants his teammates to learn. He is all about just trying everything out. And I think that's what this season has been all about. When you start Jeremy Sohan at point guard for 20
1: games, it's about experimentation. It's yeah, about trying not, to figure I, out what like, happened. I erased that from my brain, so I don't want to talk about it. Anymore. He's now
3: playing small ball five at times, which I think is also great. I, I want to know what ends up being more. Is he end up the, the the point guard in more minutes this year or the small ball five? But they're just they're just throwing everything, and it's like every five or ten games, is like, okay, does this work? No. All right, let's try it. Hey, does this work? Yes, we're keeping it. So this is the year to experiment. I think Victor's on board with that, so just keep throwing stuff at, at the wall and see what
1: sticks. And by the way, to be clear, I like Soham. He shot the ball well this year. Yes, He's an incredibly high IQ connector kind of player. I just don't want him to play point guard now or for the foreseeable future. Uh, Just very quickly on the Spurs. uh, Wembenyama deserves a lot of credit for accepting the move to center because the whole point of Zach Collins as a starter was we're going to protect Wembenyama from the physicality of playing center. And it's become kind of in vogue to say, well, there are no physical centers. There are no post-up centers. It's Embiid and Jokic and then who really cares? And if you're looking at scoring, like old school back to the basket scoring, that's kind of true. But if you're looking at just like what it feels like to box these dudes out, yeah. it's still Valanchunas, Nurkic, Gobert. I mean, Steven Adams isn't even healthy. Jokic. I mean, we can go on. There's a million big, burly, mean centers. Just That's just the West – alone and like he deserves a lot of credit for being like yeah i'll, I'll deal like i'm it's gonna yeah. hurt but i'll deal last thing on the spurs uh and point guard i said last week that dave they had some talks with atlanta about a Dejounte murray do over basically i don't think those got very far because i just think atlanta's in a tough spot yeah with teams trying to lowball them on murray and i was talking to someone from another team um, last week about the Spurs and this guard. I was talking to a few people, and, like, if I'm them, that that, that that little tidbit tells me, A, they know they have a problem. B, they're willing to sign someone who is way outside of Victor Wembanyama's age curve just to be kind of a bridge player, kind of like how the Utah Jazz chased mm-hmm. Drew Holiday in the offseason before the Celtics got him. And I think that's smart. And I started to go through with these guys, like, who's a list of guards they could get? where they, they would be looking at and it, like an impact guards, impact guards, not like, you know, this little backup here. Let's add the other Jones brother there. Here are just some names that we kind of spitballed Josh Giddy. Now, I don't think that's anytime soon or this year. There's right. a lot of stuff that needs to be resolved there. I think, you know, Drew Holiday is worth looking at, depending on what happens with the Celtics. I, I expect him to stay there, but who knows? I would be, tr- I would be monitoring if I were the Spurs, Jaden Ivey, just like yes. if he ever shakes loose in Detroit, not a, not like a traditional pass-first kind of point guard, but I'd just be monitoring it as a talent play. And a little under-the-radar one that, again, if he shakes loose, you know, I mentioned this team with Tim McMahon on, on Siakam. If he shakes loose somehow, I think Andrew Nebhard is like a – decent starting point guard kind of waiting to happen in the nba and other than that it's like you know tyler hero if he if you be become a third team in some trade if miami ever makes the blockbuster trade i'd be monitoring the blazers like with anthony simons like what do they do with the simon sharp scoot henderson trio markel fultz is kind of i don't think i want to add a non-shooting point guard as as dynamic as he can be but i just thought it was worth noting that um that they looked at Murray, I think that's the right mindset for them.
3: Yeah. And it was kind of so we we I mean, obviously it, it was Spurs Hawks on Monday. So we're there was a lot of Murray talk around. And and Pop even mentioned he, he was asked what was his relationship like with DeJounte Murray, because DeJounte Murray did not have the cleanest exit out of out of San Antonio. Um he, you know, he went on some pie, he, he said some things, but when when you talk to people yesterday, you talk to people you know, for the last couple of weeks or last week or so, I guess. It's hey, I lost my time being there. Um, I looked at Pop as like a father figure. Uh, he he said that. I think it was we, when we talked to Pop about it, Pop's like, I, I talk to DeJounte all the time about things, just checking in on life. He was a kid. He was learning. He he did this and this here. So it, it would, initially, it, it it kind of, it didn't make as much sense to me because like you mentioned, the timeline, DeJounte's just, he, he doesn't seem like he fits the timeline the same. But I think the fact that there's still many people in the Spurs organization that that think highly of him. It, 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 I could see if if something were there. Um, I like the Jaden Ivy one. I think I think I like that a lot. I, I think you're still looking for more guys. I don't necessarily think even if you have just one guy, and I think this is what they try to do right now. If you have just your your one point guard in Trey Jones, if you're still looking for another lead guard, it could just be somebody who can he can be a passer when he needs to, but if you're gonna end up running some offense through Victor and let him get to be a five, six, seven 6, assist uh, guy a game, maybe your other guy can just be a shooter. You want somebody out there who can just uh, be able to make shots. And I think that's some of what they tried this year, some of these lineup combinations, but well, you know, we'll see what happens.
1: I'm also interested in the future of Kelvin Johnson in San yes. Antonio on a good contract now coming off the bench, but that's a, a, t- a story for a different day. Let's switch back to your old team. Old team slash always part of your soul, Andrew Lopez. Always, the, always. The New Orleans Pelicans, who I think the national narrative left the Pelicans in Las Vegas and with the is Zion out of shape discussion when the Lakers just obliterated them and really embarrassed, the, like yeah. truly embarrassed the Pelicans on national television in front of the whole world. Uh, and Zion embarrassed himself. There's just no, it was awful. Well, very quietly, they were 12 and 11 after that game. They're 24 and 17 now. Um, so they're 12 and six since then. They are 12th in offense, 7th in defense, 7th. They're getting a little lucky on opponent three-point shooting, but still. They've played the third-hardest schedule in the league, so it's not like they're fattening up on bad teams. No pun intended. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Um, and they're just deep as all hell. Like, they're healthy now. Larry Nance is back. He's a big-time stabilizer for them on both ends of the floor and has already closed some games over Yunus. Herb Jones is up to 38% on threes and is being aggressive Herb Jones. Dyson Daniels, if when Dyson Daniels and Herb Jones Jr. are on the floor together, I don't even know what you're like. No one can dribble. Like it's it's not safe to dribble. Dyson Daniels, I, he probably denies people at the grocery store. Like he's he's denying the ball <laughs> all ninety four feet. Like if if he if it's him and you for like the last grapefruit in the he's gonna he's gonna use his yeah, shopping not, cart not to deny it. you access to the grapefruit. Zion has been good. Brandon Ingram has been very good. CJ McCollum's back and is shooting 44% on three. He looks zippy to me lately. Like he, he's he got a little bounce to his step. Uh, Jordan Hawkins has re-entered the rotation with an explosion against the Nuggets over Jose Alvarado. They have a bunch of stuff to trade, you know, two bucks picks, the Laker deferral pick, which is one of the most fun little soap operas in the league. Um, I have described this team as a sleeping giant in the Western Conference. I don't even know like what they should be on the lookout for if anything for trades as we've discussed many times. They're pretty well stocked across the board. But I will put it to you like this. Even when they're on a good streak like this, and this is not this is totally separate from the Las Vegas embarrassment of 2023. Um there is just something about this team that you just it's like it's it's like a vibe, like it's just a feel that you get that you don't quite trust. And I think it comes from, like, they have a couple of, like, really, really great defenders who are shaky on offense, despite Herb's shooting recently. Right. Then they have a couple of incredible offensive players, Zion and CJ, who are liabilities on defense. Trey Murphy has been okay. It feels like he's still kind of finding his footing this season a little bit. Yeah. He, he's kind of a guy who can glue a lot of their lineups together. And – then you combine the fact that they've been a complete mess in crunch time for most of the season, particularly on offense. Even when they're playing well, there's just something just like I can't quite get there trusting them. Like I think they can definitely make the playoffs and be a dangerous playoff team. Something just doesn't feel totally trustworthy about it. I want you to talk me out of it, but maybe you agree. It was it to me at least,
3: it feels like they're always one injury away from something going completely bad. They were in almost identical record last year at this point. Um, maybe it was 24 and 15. I think when Z went out against the, the 76ers, that was January 2nd last year. Um, and then the, the free fall happened. They were third and then just dropped off. Um, it, it feels like that. There, there's a couple of things still don't, you, you look at it and it doesn't make sense. It's better than what it was, but the three-man lineup, when when you have CJ, Brandon, and Zion on the floor right now, is still a net negative. Um, like my, minus 2-2 two, two. their starting group is still a net negative in 260 minutes and that's JV, Herb, Brandon, Z and CJ the combinations when you go alright when Brandon and Zion are on the floor a little bit better or when it's Zion and CJ or Brandon and CJ it's just they're still trying to figure out a, a, a little bit about having all three on the court at the same time
1: so I wrote um, this when I wrote about their crunch time offense a few weeks ago in 10 things as it dislikes. which is really bad, so bad I, I wrote something about, like, part of it is that they just haven't played very many minutes together, those three yep. guys in particular. Part of it is, and I this is what I wrote, their skills are not that complimentary. And I got a lot of pushback from people in New Orleans, like, what what do you mean they're not that complimentary? They're like, Ingram, I mean, McCollum is a great shooter and a playmaker, and they, they need, like, he's been kind of a trade machine guy like, I don't know, man. They need, they need, I know he's not a traditional point guard, but they need his skill set pretty badly. 100%. Um, and like, what well, Zion's a supernova talent. Ingram's a supernova talent. They're both ball handlers, sure. But, you know, Zion can be a screener. He can play center, although they haven't done that much. And I guess what, if you just watch them play, part of it is that Zion is a total non-shooter, right? And so if there's a center on the floor, which there usually is, the spacing is a little clumped, and like Zion's got to figure out how to attack the basket. JV is sometimes trying to skitter out of his way. And like Brandon Ingram is not an on shooter. He actually shot 39% from three last year. He's at 34% this year, and that's just like not his game spacing the floor. His game is playing with the ball. And so one of them, and it's often Zion late in games, ends up just kind of standing around taking up space. And yesterday they lose to Dallas, another close game, Dallas without Kyrie. And if you watch that game, they ran the same set over and over, which was a Zion-CJ McCollum inverted pick and roll. Great play, very powerful. Zion's awesome at that. And then CJ would flare out around a Larry Nance screen, like the, like flare screen, right right at the top of the key, top of the arc. And that's cool, and it worked a couple times. Brandon Ingram's just chilling in the left corner mm-hmm. doing nothing. And that's part of being on a good team. Like Sometimes you do nothing. He's just not that powerful of a player doing nothing. And then they were like, well, he he's needs some reps. Let's put him in the Zion spot. And then Zion is standing in the corner or in the dunker spot doing nothing. And he's obviously dangerous there, a great offensive rebounder in the dunker spot. You give him a, a highway, a runway to rev up from the corner. He'll just go through people. It's just a little clunky, I guess. And, and I had, I, thank you for looking up the numbers. I had not checked the numbers. and They're still negative.
3: Yeah, they they're still negative. There was an uptick after like in the last month. I mean, since Vegas everything has started to turn around. There was that the team meeting and you know, well, we all talk about team meetings, but this one I mean, you talk to people around there and it it worked. And I think it it started with you know, telling Brandon and Zion, "Hey, you guys are our two best players. Go act like our two best players at all times." And things started to kind of pick up from there. They're they're still going to struggle in clutch. They've been a little bit better. I think yesterday was maybe only their second or third clutch game since Larry Nance uh had come back who had been dealing with a number of injuries honestly for the See, entire think, calendar year of 23. I think
1: that's part of it is that Larry Nance feels very important to their team and I love Larry Nance three-time guest on the Low Post podcast. Just like a basketball like he's just a very smart high IQ fun basketball player. He's always hurt, and I also feel like there's a little passivity to his game in big moments. Like he do, he gets a little gun shy on offense and a little pass happy. And I'm like, sometimes you just need to shoot, man. Like, and it's, that's part of like the trust issue I have. I I have trust issues, Andrew.
3: I I see that,
1: and I will say,
3: Larry back on defense. You swap him and JV out. Things have gotten better. I think in that lineup. If you just replace JV with Larry Nance, it's only played about 25 minutes, but it's plus 25. Um, but they're only really going to it late in games. Um, it, it's kind of the late lineup. And then you have, you know, you can put Trey out there. You talk about Trey. Trey, obviously, he tore his meniscus in the offseason. Didn't debut until I think right, maybe it was the in-season tournament game. It was right right around that, December 1st, I think. It's been,
1: it's been about a month and a half, I think. So, and I, like, then, I love Trey Murphy. Like, I think Trey Murphy has all-star potential. He's just kind of getting back into it right now.
3: Yeah, and I will say if if anybody was making calls to the New Orleans Pelicans and they're going for trade, like just don't even try. Just you're gonna get no. You're gonna get told no. It doesn't matter. Hang up the phone. Um, he did have a little bit of knee tendinitis late in December, or like like maybe last week. Missed a couple of games, so I could see him still trying to work his way back from from that knee injury. But the pieces are there. If if they go make a move, I. The only way I I really see them going is maybe trying to swap out JV at center just because he's on that expiring. See what you can get for him. See what you can use pick wise.
1: Uh, I just don't even don't... know like who's who's out there for them. Like Miles Turner was the hot name for years and years. They had really in depth talks with with um, the Pacers a few a few drafts ago. Like I don't like why are the Pacers the Pacers are good and the Pacers if no. anything are going to try to add to their team. I think more than I, I don't know. I'm, He's a big part I mean, of their team, Miles Turner.
3: The only the, the big name that was floated, kind of like training camp, was was Jared Allen. But I think now with that, you're you're you want to see what Cleveland does. You know, especially since they don't have Evan Mobley, it doesn't look like they're going to have Evan Mobley back until after the All Star break or after the trade deadline, I should say. So you're going to monitor some names, see what you can kind of go. You can get to the 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 one good thing you have right now is you can get to a really good number between JV salary. Kyra Saler, that's already at 20, 20, 21 right there. If you're really going to make a splash, do you have to, well, you know, which of the young guys do you really have to give up? You know, I don't think you want to give up Herb. I don't think you want to give up Dyson. You're definitely not giving up Trey, uh, but to give, you know, to get something, you got to give something. And I don't know if there's just a a picks based deal Hawkins
1: is good, man. And
3: Hawkins just, I mean, he just, I mean, after his 34 point game in Dallas the first night, which, um, the the New Orleans Pelicans Twitter account uh dunked on our our friend Mr. Tim McMahon uh for saying that the Pelicans were punting that game, which I think was a fair thing when you sit CJ Brandon, uh Zion and Trey because you get in at 445 in the morning when you have to play a 90 a 22 and a half hour tip difference or whatever it was. But um what you're what you're seeing there is Hawkins replaced Jose in the lineup. He can shoot. He can do everything you want on that side of the floor. You still have a, a lot of good numbers that you can send out so they if they want to make a splash they can but you know if they do we'll, we'll
1: we'll see speaking of Pelicans Twitter accounts this is not a Pelican's Twitter account I got a notification on my phone over the weekend it was a direct message on Twitter my my DMs are closed, man. You can't you can't get to me. You know where this is going? Oh,
3: I have a very good feeling, Mister Zach Lowe.
1: You you can't DM me unless unless I follow you. I'm like, oh, who's this? Check my phone. King Cake Baby. It's the King Cake Baby's Twitter account. Like, oh, King Cake Baby. Wonder what he's up to. The whole message is just the skull and crossbones. That's the entire message. <laughs> That's it. Like, so, no follow-up, no, hey, happy Mardi Gras season, I'm back, my account's active, just a skull and crossbones. And the King Cake Baby wonders why people are terrified of him. That is honestly the scariest DM that I could get, I think. I think it's the scariest possible one.
3: January 6th, carnival season starts, King Cake Baby awakens. He's like the season hundred- this year.
1: He's like the Undertaker. He just like sits up, like, "Oh, I'm back." He doesn't tweet for like a year, and then, boom! And he's just He's DMing me this stuff. I think
3: you just gave the Pelicans their introduction video to King Cake Baby next year. They just have to put him. They have to go find a wrestling ring, put him in a ring, play Taker's music, and let him sit up. That I, you know what? As soon as we finish this, I'm I'm texting their people right now. That's thank you, Zach Lowe, for making this happen
1: look okay back to the pelicans look the top three in the west the top four in the west is set in some order wolves thunder nuggets clippers kings mavs pelicans Suns, jazz who i just talked about with with tim are four to nine like that battle for six to get out of the play-in is going to be fierce and i expect the pelicans to be in the thick of it all season to me their ceiling is five like they're a game out of five now. I don't see why they can't get five. And by the way, I think there were five yesterday. Uh, before God, before God, the loss. God forbid they ever the Kings ever see the Pelicans again or in the playoffs because the Pelicans <laughs> just beat <the laughs> out of them every time they play. I just want to shout out one guy. Can I shout out one Pelican? One Pelican, go for it. I I have this list of guys who are like you're. I call it like you're always happy to have them around, guys. Like they don't. They may not play every game, although this guy does now. Um, but when you need them, you're like oh. This guy's like, I'm always happy he's here. He doesn't take anything away. He's a good player. Like on that team will be Xavier Tillman. Like doesn't play for 10 games. And like everybody on the Grizzlies gets hurt. He's like, oh, this guy's good. He can switch. He can make corners. I like him. Amir Coffey, like out of the rotation for most of the season. Amir Coffey, I like this guy. I'm happy. I'm happy he's still here. Najee Marshall is the captain of my like, I'm just happy this dude's around. Every time you need him. He makes a three. He makes a. He gets a steal. He gets a rebound. He guards everybody. He dribbles the ball up and transition like a maniac and gets you a transition bucket. I'm just happy. He's just a nice guy to have around.
3: His so his nickname in New Orleans now is the knife, because once Willie Green was asked, "Oh, so and so is a Swiss Army knife. What does that make Najee Marshall?" And he just goes, "Just a knife." So he is that he is better
1: than a Swiss Army knife. Is that
3: I, it, he, it's it's more direct because that's what Najee Marshall is. Najee Marshall can do everything, but if you just need him to cut through a defense, boom, he's doing it. You need him to; he's just going to be more direct than anything else. He is the knife. He's going to cut through. And I was talking with somebody about this at, uh, here yesterday, and it's he's kind of their enforcer too. Like uh, he was kind of John, I think, with Grant Williams got double tees yesterday. He's going to be the guy who, if 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 there's if somebody you know puts Zion on his ass, it's going to be Najee to come and take care of business. I don't know if it's going to be like.
1: James Johnson takes care of business level, but you know,
3: Najee's gonna be there. Najee's gonna gonna watch out for everybody.
1: Um, last thing on on Zion, you mentioned. I just want to. I I've noticed a lot of teams. Dallas did this last night. Uh, Memphis did this in one of the Memphis comeback games or, or the Jaw games. Teams are putting Zion in the pick and roll a lot, especially when they know he's gonna hedge because of the scheme or who the screener is, and he's very bad at that. And they're relentless with it as a way to tire him out. Just something to monitor but this is a good team i like this team interesting trade deadline team i wanted to talk about them andrew lopez go catch your flight uh enjoy enjoy the Wemby experience and thanks for popping up
3: oh i'm enjoying it later guys